Hey everyone, it's Yas here and I'm calling today with a little favour to ask. Over the recent weeks and months, I've had loads of you get in touch with some great questions and today I'm going to be trying something new with the show. I'm trialling a Q&A segment where I'll be joined by a co-host and elite coach educator, Gerard Jones. Now these are discussions which are going to be taking place every Sunday evening at 7.30 GMT live on Twitter space if you wanted to get involved directly. Otherwise, I'll be releasing them here every Wednesday on the Coaches Network podcast. So for today's format, it's slightly different and for around about 30 minutes, each discussion will be dedicated to a question that has been sent in where myself and Joe will be going into some real depth and sharing our views and opinions on the topic in order to leave you with some key takeaways to consider in your own environments. So the favour I'm asking for today, guys, is if you can let me know your thoughts on the new format and you can do this by getting in touch on Twitter at The Coaches Net. Once again, that is at The Coaches Net. And of course, if you have a question, feel free to send that in too. Hope you enjoy the new format. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent and personal development. My name's Coach Yas and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Right, Tom, let's get cracking, man. Um... Good evening, everyone. Whether you're joining us now or whether you're listening to this um, on the Coaches Network podcast, just want to give you a quick heads up. Gerard is not with us tonight, so we've got a very special guest stepping in to co-host the episode with me. That's Tony Me. Good evening, Tony. How are you, man? I'm all right, thank you. Yeah, um, big shoes to fill, as I said earlier on, and definitely not as bright. <laughs> I, th- I think. Um, I think, I think you're playing yourself down, so maybe it will be worth starting off with an intro around who you are, what you do, and maybe that'll, that'll bring it back some justice. Okay, so uh, my name's Tony Mee. I've worked in academy football um, from 2002 right up until uh, about 11 months ago when I uh, finished working full-time to, to look after my wife who has Huntington's disease. Uh, now coach part-time and try to promote my book, uh, which raises funds for the charity. <laughs> that's about it, really. See, that's about it, but there's, there's, a lot, there's a lot of experience within those years and the, you know, the roles that you've done. Um, so, what, what, you know, just I'm sure we'll get into lending some of your experiences throughout the rest of the conversation, but Guys, just a, a quick reminder, you know, my, name, my name's Yas, uh, similar to Tony, a range of different experiences working in academy football and both out of academy football, rather. More recently spending um, really a lot of time working in the coach development space and supporting the development of coaches up and down all the qualifications um, within the UK and, and wider, wider regions. Um, so, but, you know, we'll get straight into the heart of the topic tonight, Tone. Who should decide on a player's position? You know, just interested to maybe get your thoughts on how things are usually done in environments where you've worked and where there's where there's been some deviations from that. Yeah, it's it's a really good I think it's a really good subject and I think that there'll there'll be a lot of different opinions on this one. Um when I used to work as a coach educator for the FA, it was a subject that would come up quite often with with grassroots coaches in terms of who should pick a player's best position. Within the within the academy, certainly the ones that I've worked at, what we uh, 
we had, we kind of had a like a global 360 degree thing in the foundation phase where players got to experience all positions. Uh, so from signing at under nine through to under twelve, yes, they they kind of they, they'd have a position in mind when that when they came in on trial because they were playing in organised football. Um, but we always worked on the principle of 360 degrees um, at foundation phase. Under 13s, under 14s, as they came into the YDP, um, what I like to call it was an area of the pitch. So, for example, if you were a right-footed uh, defender, then you could probably play right-back, right-sided centre-back, um, right midfield, uh, right centre midfield. Um, and then by 15 or 16, it was kind of a primary position and a secondary position. Um, and I do find it quite strange these days, like with the grassroots um, academy that I'm working with now. Um, I'm working with under 15s and, and I had a conversation last week with a boy and said, look, where where where, where do you play best? Where's your best position? And all, his, his answer was great. He just wants to play. But I think that the more, I guess the more seriously that that players take the game or the, the more serious the level that you play at, then the players do tend to have a real fixed opinion of where they play. And sometimes using my experience to persuade them that actually you might not have the right attributes for for that role, why don't you try this, uh, can sometimes be an interesting conversation. I certainly agree. And I think, for, you know, for me, I'm just reflecting on some of the things that you said there. And I think it's great that, we, you know, you've got that 360 thing going on in the foundation phase. And I'm just um, thinking about some of the recent conversations I've had with other coaches who are exploring similar kind of approaches. And you know, the, the one kind of common thing that comes back is, are we potentially then in danger of giving them a bit of, a bit too much breadth and not enough depth? And I understand that obviously... We were, you know, you're talking about the very early stages of their journey. Hopefully, possibly under seven, eights, and nines, you know, and then when they obviously move even tens and elevens, to be honest. But I, you know, I like the I like the idea of having the area of the pitch. Um, I think I think I think the question more specific, more specifically, kind of brings it back to the idea of if they're playing in organised football, that's the reason they've been picked up into an academy system in this case. Who decided on that initial position in the first place? Should the coach be coach be allowing players to maybe explore that from early on, or as we see in a lot of environments, you know, there's there's maybe subconscious bias around player profiles, what the player looks like, and in, in terms of their physicality and where they might end up on the pitch as well. Yeah, I think that that goes on a hundred percent. You know. Some of the grassroots coaches, hopefully, that are listening, if there are any grassroots coaches listening, uh, or the ones that that pick it up uh, on the podcast, may have a different opinion. But I think it was earlier this week. I can't remember. I, I saw it on social media somewhere, where a club were asking for like year five, year six goalkeepers, for example. Um, and I'm th- I'm just thinking that at, at that age, which is what seven, eight, nine, 
everybody could have a going goal. You have no clue at, at that age where somebody's going to play. Yes, some kids might want to go in goal, um, but surely there's there's an option there to to, to experiment a little bit more. Uh, and yes, some clubs will. The big lads are going to play centre back. The fast lads are going to play up front. Um, but it's for me that's just kind of a moment in time. But it it, it does potentially limit that player's. Um, that player's experience, let's call it. No, I think you're spot on, and I think the key thing is what well, I mean. You're right. I think that, you know you, under five, under sevens, under eights, whether you know, but yeah, fives and sixes. You probably you probably will be playing in any position, and you probably won't have much experience around what you want to do. But I think there's another key part of this as well, and I think I'm sure you've been there as well. And you've probably experienced it. The oft, often you get a lot of parents who don't want their kids playing in goal. If you look at that as an example. They say, oh, you know, they're actually trying to deter the, keep, the, the kid from playing in goal, even if the kid wants to play in goal in, in a lot of cases as well. So, I mean, <laughs> there's, there's, there's a few different influences. They obviously got the club environment, the coaches themselves, the player, what they wouldn't. And then, you know, coming back to your previous previous example, you gave it, you know, around the player, around, I just want to play. But I think a lot, of, you know, especially when you get into the more serious end of the game, the elite environments, they're probably going to look at that answer and be like, that's too fluffy. We can't have a player who just thinks he can play anywhere. I mean, obviously, some players have got the capabilities and attributes to kind of fit in and quote unquote do a job in different positions. But ultimately, they need you to they need you to be in a you know in an ideal position. Now, whether that, you know, my my thoughts on the whole question in in, in total is that I think a player should should be able to express a desire of where they want where where they want to play. But I think they should be able to actually justify why. And I think. If they can't justify why, and justification isn't oh because I've always played there, it's it it, t- it tells me that okay that player is just they don't really understand why they you know their role and responsibility potentially as well. So then when it comes to not deciding on players, because obviously this is age specific and dependent on what end of the spectrum you're on, whether you're working in the foundation phase, the youth development phase, or the PDP or above. You know you'd like to think that the older the player gets, they're probably a bit more. Um, solidified in their thoughts and understanding of where they are best suited. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, though. Yeah, it, it, it's a really good point because ultimately, if if you're telling me, you know, if you're my coach and you're telling me that this is where I'm going to play, but for one reason or another, I don't enjoy it, I've got two choices. I can suck it up or I can leave the club and, and potentially leave the sport. So you definitely have to take the players, um, the players' wishes and the players' desires into, into consideration. Um, if you can have that mature conversation with them, especially as they get older about, well, look, I think, why don't you try playing here? These are the reasons why I want you to do it. Just have a go. Um, you never know, you might like it. Um, and I, I've got a couple of live examples, actually. Um, we, had a, uh, we had a boy at, at one of the clubs that I worked at who I saw a lot of potential in him. The club obviously did. Um, at under 16, he was offered a scholarship. Um, but when we started pre-season, uh, I, obviously I'd handed, I'd handed the kid over to the PDP by then. Um I, I was helping out with pre-season training and I said to this guy, so, the, so 
where do you want to play? Because at, at under 16, I'd played him up front. He, he'd been superb. He was quick. He was athletic. Um, but for some reason, the PDP coach fancied him as a left back. And he played pretty much the whole of his um, first year YT as a left back. At the start of the second year, I spoke to him again and said, look, you're not a left back. You need to be playing further up the pitch. And so he had a conversation. He ended up scoring, uh, I think it was about 18, 19 goals, assisted in a few others. Um, and had it not been for COVID, uh, he would have he would have got a pro contract, but the, the club were cutting back, uh, scrapped the development programme and ultimately missed out. Now I think if if he'd have been if he'd have played up front for two years, COVID or not, they would have they would have definitely given him a pro deal. But because he didn't have the strength of character at the time to have that mature conversation with the PDP coach, the academy manager, um, you know, ultimately I think it probably cost him a pro contract. I think it's an interesting one because obviously you're talking there about really a level of maturity and I guess an accountability and ownership on the players where I think if you ask a majority of them, they'll probably just be happy to have a professional contract rather than if you said if you said to them, right, you can, you can play in, in your desired position, if you like, and have a chance of getting a professional contract or you can do a job for the youth team coach potentially get a professional contract on the end of it, what would you rather do? And I think a lot of them probably just settle on the idea of having a professional contract. But I think this is where the key bit comes to it. And I guess getting the player's perspective is so key for me in that I don't think there's necessarily a right answer to who should decide on whether the player's position is one or the other. But I think one thing that you kind of mentioned earlier, I think is really key here, it's if the coach identifies there's some clear attributes in which they you know which can aid a player in particular areas of the pitch then I think the coach should have, should take that on board and actually try and share that with the player but I think equally I think it's recognising that the player may not be able to also articulate why they feel they're most effective in certain positions and I think there probably needs to be a bit more support for players around that aspect of things but I think, I think something that's really key here as well Tony is that not every player is going to have the you know, the confidence to be able to turn around and say, actually, no, I am a striker. I want to play up front. So, you know, how, how, how do we how do we get around that one? Because obviously, you know, you know, you've had a lot of different experiences. I'm sure there's been players that have that it's worked out for, as well as the ones that you just, you know, like the one you shared there, where it hasn't necessarily worked out. Where you, you know, in hindsight, if the person did do X, Y, Z, it might have it might have turned out differently. And then obviously, some of the challenges of that because. Is it also a consideration that players should be making in terms of, right, if I'm going to play this position, there's probably particular clubs where I can and can't go, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I think that it's definitely, it definitely needs to be at some point a collaborative effort, certainly in the club environment. I mean, I was, I just kept banging a drum while this kid was playing left back because obviously I was. I was in the building. I was able to speak to the under-18s coach. But, but ultimately, it was his decision. I, I, and I would say to him on a regular basis, look, I don't think you're getting the best out of the player. 
But as you've just alluded to, the player also wasn't a strong enough character. He was probably just happy um, coming from where he came from, bearing in mind his background and various other factors, that he'd been given the opportunity to, uh, to, to get a scholarship at a pro club. Um, and, and that's, you know, fair enough. Um, on a similar similar tale, and another kid who was... Um, he came to Rotherham United when I was there a long time ago as a goalkeeper. Very, very good goalkeeper. Uh, and again, talking about uh, attributes, he was really tall, signed as a foundation phase goalkeeper, really tall, quite athletic. He was good at other sports. Um, and he stayed all the way through his academy um, journey from under nine through to under 16 as a goalkeeper. He didn't get a scholarship, but was very, very close. I would have given him one, um, but I'd moved on by then. Um, he actually came on trial at a club that I was at, but uh, but they decided to go with the keeper that they already had in the building, which was fair enough. Within 18 months, this kid was playing up front in local grassroots, uh, non-league football, rather, um, semi-pro set-up as a striker and earning Ray reviews so much so that the club that I was at at the time sent the academy manager um, to look at him as a potential first team player because he was banging goals in for fun. He now alternates, uh, plays for a couple of different clubs. He plays in goal for one, he plays up front for the other. So, you know, again, whether not settling down somewhere has cost him or helped him, only really he can be the judge of that. That's brilliant. I think that's absolutely fantastic. You know, and it reminds me of another player that I used to work with. Um, you know, similar similar situation really. Goalkeeper coming in at under 11s, working through right through to you know, under 16 or so under 15s. They're you know they're making having a look at him now, thinking right, is this kid going to get a scholarship at the end of at the end of the year? Similar to what you said, great physical attributes. He wasn't tallest, but he was he was absolutely. Quite Rapid. Um, in fact, I think he was the fastest kid in his borough, and he was a goalkeeper as well. And he ended up becoming a right back, getting a scholar as a right back. Didn't you know? I'm not sure. I'm not sure whether he's still playing now or what the situation is there. But went from you know having that, having a journey as a goalkeeper and then transitioning over to a fullback um, and getting a getting a, you know, a scholarship for two years. And I think it just goes to show that you know the, I think more than anything that we can be in danger of making decisions too early sometimes. So I think, for me, my take on you know my my overall take on the question essentially would be that similar to what you just said a few moments ago, there has to be that ongoing collaborative discussion around where the player sees themselves and where the club sees the player, maybe, or if it, if you know if, if if it's not at the club specifically, it's about you know how they how they're supporting the player's individual development, recognizing that actually this is where we see you. However, we also understand that and recognize that you might have attributes to play in this position elsewhere, but also recognizing that within that. And the really key thing that you've just shared in that in, in that example of the goalkeeper is you might play a different position at different levels of the game. And, you know, there's, there's no right or wrong to say where you should or where you shouldn't play necessarily, but actually the standard that you play at might dictate that for you. So I think, you know, some some really good points there, Turner. I don't know if anyone else has got any questions around anything that's been discussed so far or, or they want to add any anything around their own experiences on where they 
where they choose to play players or whether whether players are in charge of that decision for themselves. But just you know, just a final consideration from me, Tone, um, before I hand it back to you. You know, currently going through a process now where I'm supporting the club around individual development plans, and one of the key kind of uh, parts of that process is getting the players to under you know to really share with us their perspective on what they consider to be their primary position and what a secondary position to them might be like. And really understanding the rationale behind that as well and recognising are they picking this position or is this a position that's been picked for them and they've just kind of stuck with it for many years? Or is it is it coming from the parents or, you know, where is it, where is it coming from specifically? So I don't know if you, you know, I don't know what your thoughts are on that kind of process, but it'd be good to get everyone's views Yes, um, I, I agree with I agree with that um, all of what you're saying, and, and and also I'm going to reiterate that for for all those that are listening, particularly if you're listening for the first time, I'm kind of sat here co-hosting this thing, but I just came along um, to these Twitter spaces the same as you did, just to listen to what was going on. So if you have got something to to contribute, send us a a request to speak, um, and let's get some let's get some other opinions. I think that. In terms of asking, in terms of asking the players, you know, where they want to where they want to play and, and what they want to do, you're only going to get the best out of them if they if they enjoy what they're doing. Uh, and we've I've come across it, and I'm sure that some of you guys will have come across it in the past, where um, where dads are, are promising kids ten quid a you know a five or a goal, ten quid a goal, this kind of thing. And I think that it it doesn't help anybody um, when you get that kind of thing because it puts extra pressure on the kid. Uh, instead of playing a natural game of football, what they do is, uh, this is horrible to say, but they just play for the money. So they're not going to pass the ball to somebody who's in a better position. They just keep smashing the ball at goal um, if they think that it's going to get them an extra fiver in their, uh, in their pocket money. No, I think it's a great point, and I think just to highlight, you know, just a final thing before I bring Rob into this as well. Um, you have those experiences, but I think, well, I've always said this, and, you know, people have had conversations about why parents do that sort of thing. I think it's just the easiest thing for parents to measure, isn't it? I think whereas, if you know, as as coaches, if we can help players, you know, just, it's a bit of a side note, really, but if we can help players to understand and parents to understand, actually, there's different ways in which you can measure success in the game, and it's not necessarily off goals. You know, I, I remember I had a... Um, a parent once who actually did it very differently. He actually gave the kid, you know, you rewarded the kid with, you know, a packet of sweets or wherever it was every time he was able to make an interception, uh, which I thought was quite interesting. You know, just completely spinning that whole that whole thing on his head. And actually now the player's thinking, right, how do I pick up positions where I can intercept the ball? So I think, you know, just a bit, you know, a bit of a side note on that one in terms of how to, how to maybe approach it and ways in which you can support the parents on that. Rob, good evening, mate. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very well. Thank you um, um, for. I'm, I'm so glad I, I this came up on my my Twitter. It's been brilliant listening to to yourself, Coach and Tony, me, uh, who I followed for for quite a while now, and I always enjoy your 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 tweets, Tony. Um, and uh, Coach, uh, I've started following you as well. I look for that. Just a wee bit of background in ten seconds. So I I was a rugby player. 
I played Wasps amateur back in in the eighties, um, but wasn't very good at football. But the whole family was football, um, so I went down rugby routes. But then I had go- girls who actually were very good at football and I was a football coach for 15 years and I sort of retired about two or three years ago but my eldest actually has a business coaching kids lay girls in the Winchester area to play football in the local schools the number one thing that we used to come up is when you've got players so taking all the gender out of this now but there are culture there are gender and cultural differences I believe between boys and men's football and girls and ladies football but that's probably a conversation for another day um how do you deal with players who are absolutely wedded to a position and believe they are good enough to play that position at whatever standard and i i can hear that you guys are are dealing with higher quality youth players and and pathways into professionalism you know how do you go about helping that player understand that they might not be good enough and that and dealing with the emotional elements of that how do, how do you make it a positive thing rather than a negative thing of you're not selected in this position because i you know for yeah. x y and z reasons I, I think first of all rob thank you for coming i think it's a fantastic question um and you know without going into too, too much detail specifically but you know i've actually dealt with a situation like that you know i'm currently kind of supporting coaches dealing with a situation like that at the moment where you've got an under, let's just say, I think it's an under under 15 player who's been pushed up to play under 16s, um, but can play in multiple positions. But they, you know, but the, but the player considers their primary position to be up front, and they've been brought up to play essentially in the central midfield. One because the the, the older age group is slightly light in those in that, in that area of the pitch. Um, but more specifically, you know that conversation around that position, that player reckon, you know, re- genuinely considers himself to be a striker. But actually, what I've found to be the effective piece is recognizing and establishing for them. Um, yeah, you might be a striker under fifteen and scoring X amount of goals, but actually, that's what this person's doing at under sixteens. Um, so let's, cl- you know, I think it's almost. Let's climatise you to the environment of an under sixteen game before you, before we kind of go too far down the down, down the road on that conversation. Because again, you know, I've seen it so many times where certain players play up; they're good enough to play up, but they, the first thing that comes to their mind, and I've had a couple of conversations with players recently about this at different levels and different stages. Oh, it's such a challenge, you know, the physical demands, or um, you know, the, the time on the ball, or you know. It, all these little things that change when obviously you move from one level of the game to to the next, and it's not necessarily dependent on the age group. It might just be, you know, in some cases, players moving from a more relaxed grassroots kind of environment to maybe a more a more progressive one where they're a bit more um, focused on development rather than participation. So there's so many variables within that, but I think the key thing is is just not to necessarily downplay what what their perception is or their self awareness, their self perceptions are around how where they fit in within the game, if you like. But to really, you know, kind of like what Tony said earlier, use use your experience, use your knowledge and and your guide, you know, in a way to guide and really put into context just where they're at in their journey. Um, and you've got to be you've got to be quite articulate in the way that you do it because obviously you don't you don't want them thinking the wrong things, but or, or that they're not good enough. But I think it's just recognizing also just because, and I've had this situation as well where just because you were the best player at, let's just say, in your previous team. 
you're no longer the best player in this team, but actually recognizing that in the lot in the previous team, you actually you know you've jumped up two divisions as an example. So, it, yeah. you know, it's unrealistic to expect that that to still be the case. However, that's also yeah. a conversation which really needs to be managed and, and dealt with with the parents as well, because I think the parents also get wrapped into that sort of thing sometimes. Where, oh my, you know, my child was the best player in their team. Um, we're coming up. We're, you know, we, we're ready for a new challenge. But they come into the new challenge almost not giving it the, not giving it the respect it deserves in that res- if if that kind of makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, look, I'm, you know, I, just just the, uh, a broader point is uh, schoolboy level in the rugby world. I got to a decent standard, uh, just short of sort of England cap level. Didn't quite make it. Never used to bother me, but as I've got into my fifties, it rather does now, which is obviously you know, old man middle age syndrome sort of stuff. Um, but um, you know, I've had girls. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I go to a lot of uh, WASP rugby club stuff, so you, you 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 can't stand up at certain points when it's beer necking time. But anyway, um, moving on from that very very quickly, you know, through the coaching side, and I have to be honest, my wife and my daughter are brilliant coaches and managers. Uh, I ended up taking quite a a backseat role as my eldest at that time took over coaching and, and did it very well and was successful, very successful winning leagues and cups and stuff, which are great memories. But we had a real spectrum of kids. We had one kid that left us at 12, went into the Saints Academy set up and ultimately played age group youth for, for England and stuff. And then we've had other kids that completely fell out of it. But I do remember one 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 girl, um, and again, obviously, it's absolutely confidential, so no names, no pack drills in any way, shape or form, but it was absolutely the mother's dream for this kid to go on, and she was a centre-forward. So it was all about her scoring goals, and she was um, playing up a year, and it got to the point that after every game, um, about you know a day, a half a day later, whatever, we would get a phone call telling us as the management team, because we were, about how we weren't getting the best out of this kid, to the point that we then made the decision and said, look, at our level of sport, which is grassroots, and that even though I felt we put in place some very good structures, um, you know, but obviously I probably would say that, um, with with my wife and my, and my daughter, was if you want to do more, then you need to go on to the academy-type setups in the ladies' games, and that, as far as I'm aware, that 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 child has completely fallen out of football. Um, she doesn't play anymore. And I find that quite sad because it was more the parent's journey rather than the child's journey. So to go to what Tony said, the, the culture of paying kids to score goals or to reward them, okay, a different KPI interception, I find quite bad. And it never happened with us, but if it had, I would have stopped it and we would have stopped it. Because the analysis that's been done by the FA is the number one reason kids play football is for fun at the grassroots levels. And winning, I think, comes eighth on the list. The second with girls is to be with their friends. Okay, so you as a coach have to understand your coaching environment. And apologies, I don't mean this to be a sermon because I'm sure there's some very, very great coaches on here. But that was one of the biggest takeaways I got. I got from le- my own pathway as a coach and and, and learnings. So it, to me, it's about creating an environment of fun, enjoyment, 
and obviously all the safeguarding stuff that has just gone through the roof in a positive way over the last 15 or 20 years with respect to youth um, and how coaches interact with, with, with children. So, yeah, I think it's about creating creating those cultures. Great points there. Just to kind of tail onto the back of that, I think one thing that's important to understand as well is that it's okay for players to play in different environments for different reasons. So I know certain players who are playing in academies but occasionally still play for their school team and it's a different challenge where they do get some different benefits from it. I think that might be another route where you kind of balance the environments but obviously recognise you don't want to you don't want to overload them with football and I think especially yeah. we speak on other sports in particular but I do think in many cases we can also be in danger of overloading them with football. Um, so I think it's just a consideration to make there and just just one a final point as well that you know, you talk there about that player, get, you know, with the parent, for instance. I, f- I find um, it's probably down to naivety more than anything else. But a lot of parents are really deluded just to how much they're impacting their child. And I, you know, I've seen it in, even in academies, and I'm sure certainly you've probably experienced similar, where some clubs won't go near a player who's absolutely brilliant because of the parent. Like, they've almost been blacklisted from the academy systems because of that. And it happens so often. And I think, you know, it's really important to kind of sometimes actually just say something to the parents. Just be like, you know, this is the impact it's having. This is the perception it is. Because <clears throat> I think also parents don't under, always understand the perception that they give it off to everyone in, in, in terms of how they're approaching it and dealing with their child. But at the end of the day, it's their decision what they do because it is their child. But I think sometimes yeah. it's just good to kind of give them the extra insight around, are you aware of what's actually happening here? And I totally agree. I mean, I, the, the club that I'm involved with um, is is one of the largest women's, girls, grassroots clubs in the country. We don't know of a club that's actually bigger than us. Um, in sheer numbers of players that run out on the park on a Saturday and a, a Sunday. But we are a grassroots club. You know, we our subs are about 110, 120 and stuff. Everybody involved is a volunteer. Not one single pound goes out of that of our club to pay anybody for their time other than we've got some physio cover. Um, but that's, that's a professional arrangement, but from the volunteer side is, is there. And we, if you believe that your, your child, and I'm, I'm not so close to the youth anymore, actually I'm a long way away from the youth, but the philosophy still exists. My, my wife coaches six to nine year old girls on a Sunday morning, you know, the diddies, they call this the sparrows, the diddies, you know, the cutest little things in, in the universe when you see young girls running around like that. But to us, it's like, if you believe your football journey is to go higher, faster, quicker, then you you need to get into the academy systems, which operate in a, in a different way. You know, it's the kit, they all wear the same kit, they all have the same bags, they line them all up. You know, they train two, if not three times a week, um, you know. And one of the things I never understood with the academy is they used to come back and say that the parents on the touchline are not allowed to say anything. And I used to think, oh, come on, at least you can encourage. But as I've got older, now I understand why and stuff, because the kids have to be given the space to learn and make mistakes in the most safest of environments and only to be listening to the coaches' voices within the structures that they're working with, not to be confused with dad. And we have had mums as well. Mums, you know, um, have had their moments on touchline touchlines as well, but not to give those con- those conflicting messages as well. Um, 
and I, I, I fully appreciate and under, understand understand that now. So, and ultimately, the, the, the women won the Euros. So the the structures have have become good enough to to be successful at the highest level of the sport. So, the FA, the clubs, and that are doing are are doing thing doing things well and doing things right. So, Chaps, I'm going to have to apologise and say I need to go because I need to be somewhere in about 15 minutes. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for letting me speak. I hope that's been useful. Um, and um, I look forward to, to joining again in the future. And thank you to everybody for listening and wishing you all the best to the rest of us. Uh, Cheers Sunday. for that, Rob. Have a great evening. Thank you for being involved. Johnny. Thank you. Thank you. How's it going, Johnny? Hey, lads. How are we doing? I'm enjoying it tonight. It's a good topic. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm kind of trying to think about things we haven't talked about so far or haven't, haven't come up and I'm, I'm trying to look at it from, looking at the question, so who should decide on the player's position? I'm, I'm in with Tony, I'm in, at the start when he talked about probably having three positions with the right back, right centre half, see a midfield. And for me as, as an academy coach, I would absolutely believe in having the three. But in my head, I'm thinking about questions to get the players thinking. Questions that might get them to open up to playing in different positions, and I'd love to get your your thoughts on it. Um, the first is like a let's imagine you make it to the first team, and the captain plays in your position, or the best player in the team plays in your position. What are you going to do? Are you going to be able to to shift them, or are you going to be able to be flexible, playing different positions? That comes to mind. Another option I have in my head would be red card. We've had somebody sent off. We need to pick someone that's going to dig us out. You know, how flexible are you in that? And then the other thing that I find changing at the highest level and will eventually filter down is is styles of play are changing. Tactics are changing. You know, we're watching fullbacks play in the midfield now. So there are sort of questions that are coming to mind about how you'd ask youth players or younger players about where they should or where they think they'd play and just get your thoughts on that. <clears throat> yeah, definitely, Johnny. Some great points there. I think um, just a real quick one that I'm kind of working with at the moment is I think clubs should do more work around having clear player profiles. Obviously, this might be less relevant at really early stages of grassroots football or but, you know, if it's a participation kind of environment. But where, they, where it's a bit more focused around development and doesn't have to be in an academy setting, but even in a grassroots setting, I think having clear player profiles for the players to refer to might be really beneficial as well. Because sometimes, like I said, you know, players get put in positions because it's been decided by the coach or the parent has just rocked up and said, "Yeah, this is where my child plays." Um, but I think if in each individual environment we have a, we have a kind of a, almost like a job description, if you like, for each position on the pitch and what what's expected, and that hopefully that can support the players in rationalising themselves and their competencies against that profile, if that makes sense. I, you know, I, think, I think that's just one way to kind of consider consider doing it. I'm not sure what your thoughts are on that, Tone. Yeah, I think you've definitely got to have that. Um, as a coach, you've certainly got to have that flexibility of approach because the, the scenarios that, that Johnny's given us there in terms of uh, players getting injured, uh, players getting sent off, that kind of thing. 
I've got one or two players in my group that I know that I can ask them to play anywhere and they'll do it without complaining. Other players within my group um, wouldn't do that. I had uh, I had a player who's a defender come to me on his mid-season review and say, you know, you've played so-and-so at, uh, at, at CDM in a couple of games. I think I fancy having a go there and I've, I've, the conversation's gone right okay so look at your roles and responsibility sheet which I've sent out for for that position um, make sure you understand it we'll give it a go in training and, and we'll we'll let you have a go in a game well after 20 minutes in playing playing as a CDM he came over to the touchline he says I haven't got a clue what I'm doing I don't re- I, I never realised how hard it was so you know players don't always they sometimes think the grass is greener in a slightly different position um and this is where having these the, the uncomfortable conversations that you need to have the uncomfortable truths that you sometimes need to to tell players with regards to their attributes yeah okay chuck them in there let them have a go but ultimately are you are you bending to their will or are you bending to their wishes to keep them quiet or to teach them a lesson? Or are they going to surprise you, I guess? Yes, he's gone quiet. I don't know whether oh, he's... Sorry. Oh, you're there. You're there. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. I was Johnny... just saying, it reminded me of... Um... Reminded me of a couple of days ago. I was picking up my son from nursery on the way home. I was on the bus and there was these two kids sitting behind me. And they were talking about, about I think they must, have, they must have just played in a school game or something like that. And all I remember is just one of the players, or one of the kids rather, was like, oh, sir put me sir put me in this position. I don't know why he did that. That's not where I play. You know, and if you put me here, I would have played better. And it's, you know, two, two kind of words really stand out for me, jump out for me when, when I think about this whole topic, actually. It's... it's awareness and patience I think and that, and that has to be exercised from both both parties with the coaches and the players players need to be patient in understanding that actually they're not going to have a great game in every single match they play and as long as they're putting the effort in that's the main thing but also coaches need to understand that players aren't going to be able to demonstrate unbelievable competency in every position they play and certainly not do it immediately anyway and I think that that, that piece is really key and I, you know, one of the things I kind of say to grassroots coaches in particular is I see it all the time where a player comes on, whether they're playing in quarters or whether they're playing two halves, and just for the for, you know for the for the purpose of trying to manage game time for all the players, players are constantly moving around in different positions, and I then see quite often the coaches get frustrated at the performance of the players as as a result, but it's almost like well you've played the player out of position first of all, have you supported them well enough in understanding what's expected in that position? If it's if it's something new to them, um, and if it's not something new to them, how much work have you done behind the scenes and even you know off the pitch around helping the player understand what's really expected of them in that position, and not just assuming because they've come to you and they've played in that position for a couple of years or whatever that may be um, on the way to you that they understand that position because again they've come from different environments, different levels of coaching, different experiences by the coaches and the players themselves, where some of the stuff might not have even been covered in the past. So I think you know I think it's a really really kind of key one for coaches to think about you know patience and awareness, both from their perspectives and from the players. 
Go for it, John. I just think it's a great point. I think it's a fantastic point you're making, Yaz. If you're moving a young child, a youth, a young adult, if you're moving them away from where they want to be, you're taking them out of their comfort zone. And if you move someone out of their comfort zone and your environment isn't learning-based, you're going to affect their ego. And if you affect their ego, they're not going to perform. They're going to put themselves under pressure. So it's a really it's a really important part for me. Something I've got written down here is, you know, what's their psychological development in comparison to the rest of the team? What's their physiological comparison in relation to the other team? And is that impacting on the, the position they're choosing? But I, I just think it's a great point. Um, awareness, patience. I, I absolutely love that. And could I ask how you would maybe manipulate training in order to facilitate it or to help? Would you, I don't know, create a drill where if someone scores, you could pick a position for someone in the opposition or something like that? Possibly, but I think, I think the first and foremost thing is about priming the players. And I think quite often when, when these things do happen, I was having a conversation with a coach just the other day and talking about... Um, the, the goalkeeper's injured, so they're not, they're not sure how they're going to approach it. They're going to ask one of the other players, and it's like, well, I'm not, I'm not necessarily going to tell you how to do it, but one thing I would definitely put into consideration is don't leave it to the morning of the day or the, or the arrival of the match. Let the players know, give them a heads up before that so they can prep themselves. And I think that, that's something that coaches definitely can do to, to help the players in you know, just maybe settling the nerves a little bit and having that little, you know, that little, even if it's a five minute conversation around, right, you, you're going to be playing out of position this week. Um, these are the expectations, and you know whether that be from a technical technical standpoint, whether that just be from a general individual goal or target standpoint, or just just overall, you know, it, it, you know there's no pressure or however you want to kind of pitch that conversation. But I think priming the players ahead of time and not on the day is definitely a good way to go about doing that. In terms of training, I think it, again another conversation I was having with coach recently around. There's nothing wrong with dedicating a session that's focused around certain players and certain areas of the pitch. And if in the, in that session you want to maybe trial players in different positions and let them know that actually the focus of today's session is X. And whilst that is the focus, doesn't mean any, it doesn't mean that everyone's not going to get something out of today. Um, so I think there's different ways in which you can play around with it. There's different training structures obviously you can put in place for it. But I think for me, the most important piece is just, again, building on that patience and that awareness piece. And I think the part of that is priming the players and letting them know ahead of time that this is what's going to be expected of them or this this is what they can expect from the situation themselves. Yeah, just kind of picking up on that point a little bit. One of the things that I've found myself doing uh, quite a lot since I came out of the Pro Club Academy system uh, and working with this private academy is having explaining to players and their parents that look this is the focus of this session is on this particular aspect of the game therefore certain players will get more out of it than others however when we do another session your son your your young player um will benefit more than others because the focus will shift um and I think it's important that people understand that. But And like you say, you can experiment a little bit more in that environment. Uh, I've already mentioned this before on, on, other, um, on other Twitter spaces that we've done. My, my current squad only has one left-footed player in it. So in order to manage people's equal game time as much as possible, um, we've had lots and lots of players have to play out of position. 
Um, but knowing which ones take it better, if you like, or accept it for the right reasons that it's you know it's a team game. You're just an, you're, you're you're a part. You're an integral part of the team. But it's a team game, so you might have to play out of position um, occasionally if you want the game time. You know, if I've got five centre backs um, but only three midfield players, if they want a bit more game time, they're going to have to be flexible enough to play in another position. I think certainly that you know beyond that as well, it's recognising that in some environments they're going to have to understand that. Let's use your example as uh, as one uh, term: five centre backs. Just because you've got five centre-backs, they can't expect you to then play five at the back, all in the central areas. You know what I mean? They have to recognise that sometimes they're going to have to do a job elsewhere. And that is, at the, you know, that is with a trade-off in terms of how much game time they're going to work. If, this, if they're very kind of set in their minds and very headstrong in the idea they want to play specific positions, then they're going to have to accept that they may not be playing as much as they may want to. And that's just an expectation that's going to have to be agreed on between between the both parties, whether that be the coach and the and the players or the coach and the player and the parent together. So I think it's definitely a great point there. I don't know if that answers your question, is uh, Johnny though. Yeah, absolutely, boys. It's all good. I love how we meander and move. It's enjoyable. And the only thing I've got left written down is like trialists or new players. What would you do with them when they come in the group? Do you let them choose so they're comfortable? Any thoughts on that? Certainly for me, I think it's always, um, whether it's a trialist or whether I'm going into a new environment where I'm, where, you know, where I'm just getting to know the players for the first time, my first thing is always setting the standard of you're going to get an opportunity to play where you want, but recognising that myself as a coach, I'm going to make some observations and we're going to have conversations around whether where you've decided that you want to play and where I've observed you might be more most effective that may that you know that that may dictate at some point where you end up playing. So I think it's always giving them the opportunity to play where they want to play first, giving them an opportunity to express themselves and demonstrate their competencies in that in that area of the pitch, if you like. Um, and having those ongoing conversations, I think it's just having that open and honest conversation with them that essentially they're not always going to get what they want, and I might not always get what I want out of the situation. But as long as we're having those those you know, open honest conversations, we can get to a point where everyone's a winner to an extent. Yeah, we always um, we always play trialists in the in the position that they've been scouted. So, or, or you know, if we've picked them up from a, a training camp or something, they'll always play the whole of their trial of them. Certainly, that I would say ninety five percent of their trial in the position that that they were scouted in, because it's unfair to do anything else with them. Now, as Yaz just said there, during the course of that trial. It may be that you they display attributes that you think might work better in a different area of the pitch. Um, an example of that for us, uh, quite recently, we had a, a quite a well known ex pro who brought his son to us on trial at uh, I think it was the end of the under 15, start of the under 16 year. Um, and and his dad had been a, a centre mid, and it, he said that. You know, where do you play? Yeah, I'm a I'm a centre mid. So you centre mid for your grassroots club, right? Okay. So the whole of his trial, he he played in centre mid, which was an area, to be fair to us at the time, where we had three really strong candidates already. 
we recognised that this boy had the attributes to play, but he wasn't going to be better than the three that we already had in that position. But we quite fancied having a look at him as a centre-back. Um, and his dad was adamant that that wasn't his best position, blah, blah, blah. Um, and it went on and on. Eventually, the kids said, well, look, I'm happy to give it a go. Right, then we're happy to give it a go with you. Um, and the boy ended up getting a scholarship as a centre-back, which he would never have got as a as a central midfield player for our group of players at that time. And I think just a really key thing to highlight there, Tony, is obviously that you recognise he's got the competencies to play in centre-mid. And even if it's, you know, his dad's gone and said that's probably his best position, it may well have been up to that point, but how much have they experienced and you know played around with other areas of the pitch? And at what level has he demonstrated that he's the best in that position as well? And I think that's a really key point in recognising that a lot of clubs, if you're going to bring a new player, a new player in, it's very unlikely you're going to bring in a player who's just as good as what you've got. They're going to need to be, in most cases, head and shoulders above what you've got because as you shared the example earlier about the goalkeeper, goalkeeper who, who, who they were looking at is probably just as good as goalkeeper that they had already, but they've really got a relationship with the player that's already in the building. So I think that, that plays a massive part in the process as well. So I think it's definitely worth considering. Just conscious of time as well. I don't know if anyone else has got any, any experiences they want to share or any questions they want to throw at us. I guess not. Maybe a good time to then wrap up then, Tony. Johnny, first of all, thank you for obviously you know, your questions and your thoughts on, 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 the, on the topic tonight as well. And Tony, I don't know if you've got any uh, lasting thoughts. No, I think, you know, look, I, as people pop up on the on the Twitter space, I always have a little look and, and see where they are and, and, and see what they're working at. And it's great that people want to listen to us and, and great that some other people want to join in. And I, I just think that it is important that, that, that everybody is honest with their players, that, that, that they're able to discuss, um, certainly with the older players, obviously with the younger ones, it, it, it's harder to have a discussion and it's sometimes almost impossible to have a discussion with their parents. Um, but but you've got to have these honest conversations. And, you know, if you, I've got to be careful about how I, how I say this, I suppose. If you've got somebody who comes to you who wants to play centre mid, who says he's a centre mid or she's a centre mid, but it's quite obvious that they can't get around the pitch. Well, one of the key attributes for being a centre mid is the ability to get around the pitch. So you've got to have that honest conversation with them and, and you know, tell them that there's, there's a position that might be better suited to, to the qualities that you've got. We're not, we don't want to kick, we're not going to kick you out. We want to try and come to an arrangement that is in the best interests of both parties. Spot on, spot on. And I think it's just really important to begin having, having that that context of as you go up the levels or depending on what environment you're playing, you're going to have different capabilities in some environments where it's maybe not as, not as competitive. You're going to get more time and space on the ball so you've been able to demonstrate it different level of ability that you might not be able to do in a higher level. So I think that's kind of a great point to kind of uh, finish up on Tone. Guys, but just, you know, just kind of build on what Tony said there as well around participation and people joining us. I think, you know, we, we are here every week. Um, Gerard is usually with us. He wasn't able to be, uh, make it tonight, um, but he should be back next week. 
Um, so make sure you make sure you guys are following us. Make sure you're following Tony, myself, and Gerard when he's involved from next week. Every single week, pretty much, we're here on a Sunday evening having different discussions around different topics that have either been put to us or that have come up in our weekly conversations elsewhere. So if you've got anything that you want to hear discussed or anything that you want to unpack on the on the, on the Twitter space in particular, please do let us know. Um, just on that note, guys, if you haven't been able to catch the full conversation, it will be um, released on the Coaches Network podcast where you can find a whole host of different discussions that we've had and a, and a, and a, a range of other episodes with expert guests around their own journeys in particular specialist areas that they, they're involved in as well. Um, and then a final note, um, for some of you that may have noticed, uh, I put up a tweet a couple of days ago, I'm going to be putting together a private coaching community group. So if you're interested in being involved in that or finding out more about that, please let me know, get in touch. Um, again, massive thanks to Johnny, Rob, obviously that was on with us earlier. And Tony, thank you for stepping in for Gerard as well. Uh, it's a pleasure, mate. Anytime. Until next time, guys. Take care. Have a great evening. Make sure you're following. And I look forward to seeing you next week. Well, there you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent, and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at The Coaches Network or on Twitter at The Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care.